There's a quote that I use at the beginning of each and every Eurodollar University member classroom video. It's from Milton Friedman in 1969. And in it, he says the amount of literal physical cash being used in that Eurodollar system, even at that early date, was, in his word, negligible. It is a cashless, reserveless, virtual currency system. But here's the thing. It's not just the Eurodollar system. As a society, we have moved away from hand-to-hand -hand physical currency, literal cash, for far longer than you might realize. And in fact, we have been operating on a digital vir virtual currency payment system for a very, very, very long time. But if we are on a virtual currency system, there's no literal cash, it immediately raises a couple thorny questions. Number one, what do banks do? Because we're all taught, and when we think about banks, we, I mean, when you use the word bank, what do you think about? You think about that there's this building that has a vault, essentially a warehouse for physical cash. Now in a fractional reserve system, it creates some loans based on uh, competing claims for a limited amount of cash. But by and large, the archetype of a bank that we all think of, or all taught in school, that's reinforced in all of the media and everything we see in here, even today, the third decade of the 21st century, is this warehouse of physical cash. But that can't be because nobody uses cash. Instead, banks have used that special place of privilege that we've given them, thinking that they are warehouses of cash, in order to do some things and to have some things done that are nowadays increasingly questionable. And it was from this place of privilege that the head of one of the largest banks, banks in the country, in the world, J.P. Morgan, Mr. Jamie Dimon, essentially decided that cryptocurrency, blockchain, he said to a CNBC panel, I think crypto is a complete sideshow. Crypto tokens are like pet rocks. Why do we allow this stuff to take place? Now, he said these things for several good reasons. I mean, if you've been paying attention to crypto and digital currency projects lately, it has not been going well. They are riddled with failures, frauds, scams, all sorts of bad things. However, methinks the lady doth protest a little bit too much here because there's something else that I think Jamie Diamond, Jamie Diamond realizes that has to do with what a bank actually is, what his bank actually is. So while he has good reason to doubt some parts of the current innovation, the current levels of technology, the current uses of digital currency, there's a deeper fundamental question that's being asked here that if we answer it honestly, it puts Jamie Dimon out of business. And I think he knows it. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. As always, if you're interested in learning more about virtual currency, the history behind all of this, ledger money, all of that, check out the Eurodollar University memberships that are available at our website, eurodollar.university. We also have subscriptions available, a daily briefing, as well as my deep dive analysis, which tries to put all of these things together in a useful context for analyzing what is going on right now from the perspective of 
virtual ledger money as it actually is, not the crap that they try to sell you on TV as economics and everything else. So that's all at Eurodollar.University. So we're taught to believe that a bank is a warehouse of physical cash. Now, the, the government prints the cash, it gets circulates through the economy, and lots of it ends up at these banks who then lend it out to various, for various purposes to various institutions, people, businesses, whatever the case may be. And that is the banking system that we're told to imagine from the very first, first, first instance of thinking about banks and money. From the high school, middle school, whatever it happens to be when you first start talking about banking and money, that's what they tell you about. And then the central bank fits into that model very easily, very neatly, very efficiently. The idea of Walter Badgett lend freely at high rates on good collateral to these institutions that are otherwise warehouses of the physical cash that the government creates. So the government has monopoly on currency. Banks operate as institutions, as warehouses for that cash. Intermediate uh, at times uh, lending and creating the, uh, liabilities based on that cash. And everything is hunky-dory except for those times when it isn't. But the truth of the matter is the banking system evolved as society evolved away from physical uses of cash. Because let's face it, as we all know and we all do in our own daily lives, using physical cash can be cumbersome. Isn't it much easier, much, much easier to just whip out your phone? Done. Don't have to count. Don't have to make change. Don't have to do anything. It's all taken care of for you. And this desire for convenience, and it's a little bit more than convenience, but primarily convenience goes back a long, long way. Think about it. Now, maybe many of the people who are watching this video are too young, but certainly I did and my parents' generation, everybody before did, used to write checks all the time. When you write a check, you're doing a monetary transaction that is cashless because you write a check to somebody else who deposits that check in a bank. What happens then? You, don't, you never really think about what happens next. Well, that what happens next has been happening for well over a century. In fact, as the Atlanta Fed said uh, about 15 years ago, in the early 20th century, so late 19th century, early 20th century, by that time, the non-cash payment system, this check writing system, had become the world's largest payment system. With 30 30 tying together more than 27,000 individual banks throughout the United States. Those with access to demand deposits, which at the time meant mostly businesses and wealthy individuals, at least in the early days, could, for the first time, reliably send a payment virtually anywhere in the country by simply mailing a check. For most situations, there was no longer a need to make long-distance payments by drawing or purchasing a bill of exchange or banker's draft. And some contemporary studies, including one from uh, David Kinley back in 1910, estimated by 1910, about 90% of wholesale transactions, that is business to business uh, transactions, as well as among wealthy individuals, 90% of transactions that had taken place up to 1910 were done by, through this check payment system. So from the very early part of the 20th century, society was moving away from hand-to-hand -hand currency. Instead, we were using these non-cash payments, which is a very different, 
Very different setup, very different arrangement, but also means the bank isn't a warehouse of physical cash because there isn't any physical cash. Now, obviously, that wasn't a complete and full transformation, nor was this transformation a smooth linear function, that whole thing in 1929. But by and large, by the time we got to the euro dollar and this this virtual currency system with negligible amounts of cash that spread offshore, it had already become the case onshore as well. We can go. We can use a couple of estimates here, and I want to start with the Federal Reserve's payment study. So it's a triannual, a triannual survey. Did I say that right? Triannual, triannual survey, which is supposedly every three years, begun in two thousand one where the Federal Reserve takes a really exhaustive look at how payments are processed throughout the U.S. economy. And what they've been showing is that check writing started out very huge. Um, when by you know 2001, by the time they started these three-year studies, check writing has been falling off, but it's been replaced by mostly ACH and other forms of electronic transfers, which is no surprise. We use these things all the time. Um, there hasn't been a 2022 update. I don't know, not, not really sure why, but the Fed did do annual supplements in 2020 and 2021 because of the pandemic interruptions. But what they said is taken together, prepaid and non-prepaid debit cards, credit cards, ACH credit and debit transfers, and checks, those who still write checks, compose a set of non-cash payment types commonly used today by consumers and business in the United States. These core non-cash payment types have retained their ability to be used in traditional ways, even as they are adapted for use in innovative, non-traditional ways. Indeed, many alternative payment methods and services, <clears throat> blockchain, such as smartphone and inter-based services, internet-based services, ultimately involve payments processed through general purpose card networks or the ACH system. So again, what does the bank actually do? Because when you look at the Fed's data, what you see is that even something like ATM use, where you go to this machine, which is electronic, and try to get this literal physical cash out of that machine for use in hand-to-hand -hand transactions, number one, the amount of transactions, the amount of withdrawals that take place at ATMs has been declining for years even though the values have gone up because people tend to take, take more out per transaction, but usage at ATMs has gone down. And even though at its best, ATM use a couple of years ago was a rounding error in the entire payments network. Again, it's dominated by these non-cash electronic forms of payments, particularly ACH transfers. So what does your bank Actually, it's not a way. The ATMs are not even an important part of business. Think about what you do. When you interact with a bank, you're interacting with a teller. What does the teller do? The teller essentially keeps track of all the things that you do. The bank is really nothing more than a glorified bookkeeper. It is keeping track of individual transactions and aggregating them on an individual business basis. So when you go to the bank and you and you open up a checking account, most of the times you open up a checking account or a savings account, you don't open it up with any cash. You open it up so that you can start receiving electronic ACH payments. The bank is merely keeping track of transactions. It's keeping track of who owes what. And think about it from your own personal perception. 
when you get when you open up a bank account, what do you get? In the old days, you used to get some kind of paper statement. Uh, if it was a savings account, you used to get a passbook, which is a paper statement. Nowadays, you get online access, which is really the same thing. But what is your online access? What is your online statement actually? What is it actually? It is nothing more than your own personal ledger. It tells you what you owe, what you own, or what you might owe in the future, in the case of credit. So the bank does nothing more than keep track of these individual ledgers by aggregating all of its customers' individual ledgers into its own bank ledger. And then the bank ledger is integrated into other bank ledgers in these ACH payment system, as well as other correspondent networks and other forms of payment processing, as well as financial markets, chips, and everything else, Fedwire, all of that complicated stuff. You have nothing more than one individual ledger, bank ledger, systemic ledgers, all operating together. Ledgers stacked on top of ledgers stacked on top of ledgers, where the where the real purpose of the bank isn't to store cash, it's merely to keep track of transactions. And it's built upon the idea that because banks did store cash, we've given them a special place of privilege by saying, we'll let banks keep track of what I own because building upon that reputation of being a storehouse for physical cash gives them a reputation which we all seem to trust. And it gets even more complicated than this. I talked about in a recent member video, we just went over MBS as well as ABS. Every time you use a credit card, for example, which is another form of electronic payment, whether you realize it or not, you have accessed this negligible cash virtual Euro dollar system because even in a loan situation like this, it's not fractional reserve, it's wholesale, it's Euro dollar. In other words, when you, when you open up a credit card account and you're given a revolving line of credit, it's most of the time not between you and the bank. The bank is merely the originator, the processor. The credit is owned by a special purpose vehicle, usually in the form of a master trust that funds its activities, not with wholesale cash. They're in this negligible physical cash euro dollar system through all sorts of wholesale techniques. So not only do we have, when you use a credit card, You've got your own individual ledger, which tells you how much you owe on that credit card, how much you've charged on it. You've got the bank, which uses a ledger to process these payments. Then you've got the owner of the receivable, which is usually a master trust, who then funds these activities that you and everybody else uses in wholesale markets. Ledgers stacked on top of ledgers stacked on top of ledgers, where the entire purpose and goal of the monetary system is to make sure all these ledgers fit together in a hyper-frequent transaction environment, which is an enormous challenge. In some ways, it's amazing that it, that it operates in the way that it does. So the upshot here, banks aren't what you think they are. They're just glorified bookkeepers. The monetary system doesn't have government money in it. It's all ledger-based money, which is different thing. We, we talk about that in Eurodollar University. We won't, we won't get into that today, but with negligible physical literal cash, there's no government money here. It's private bank money using ledgers, which means we've been, whether we know it or not, whether we recognize it or not, whether we intuitively grasp it or not, we have been on 
a decentralized ledger monetary standard for decades, maybe even a century. You go back to the early 19th century check writing, it's, ve it's very much the same principle. So when we think about what Jamie Dimon was saying about cryptocurrency, why didn't he say the same thing about all of those currency swaps that we just talked about the other day? What do you think that 80 trillion in money, dollars, that the BIS was talking about uh, in its groundbreaking, massive news, $80 trillion in hidden money uh, uh, report that came out the other day? What do you think they were talking about? Physical cash? No. Ledger money. All of this is ledger money. And the thing is, Mr. Diamond knows this, it has privileged these glorified bookkeepers enormously. Now that, okay, that uh, led to a lot of good things. It did. It, we, we, the, the, uh, not just convenience and how customers use money and you no longer have to transport physical funds all sorts of distances. You don't have to take gold coins from here to there. You know, uh, the convenience factor is not something we, we, should, just, uh, we should just ignore or dismiss. But more than that, the, because it was adaptive, remember what the Federal Reserve study or the Federal Reserve payment study said, it, it, adapts, it adapts and evolves in ways that customers need, which was the real secret to the euro dollar system becoming a global reserve currency, which allows it to respond to the constant changes in not just the economy and finance, but our daily lives. Human, human society evolves and changes all the time. And we want our monetary system to be able to change, to change with it. And in doing so, it created an enormous amount of prosperity and wealth all throughout the world. Think about places like emerging markets, China, that started out really backwards, subsistence agriculture, that are nowadays moderate to, to high levels of actual wealth and prosperity. So there was enormous benefits to using this form of ledger Money, unit, money of account, ghost money, whatever you want to call it. However, that all started to break down in August of 2007. And unfortunately, most people have gotten the 15 years of history since then completely wrong, including most people who are interested in digital and, and, and cryptocurrencies. Because they've been told that the Fed has destroyed the dollar, inflation has gotten, is going to get way out of control, currency has gone to zero, all of that nonsense, thinking that the Fed is printing dollars and they're getting into these warehouses that are the banking system. Not the case. In fact, it's the opposite case. But either way, people, especially in these crypto bubble ages like 2017, uh, remember that one? And then the far bigger one in 2021, where everybody thinks they need to use these crypto and digital currencies as a store of value. That was their mistake. The real value, future, future, future value, way down the road value, is in blockchain technology. If the banking system is nothing more than a glorified bookkeeper, what is a blockchain? A much more efficient way of keeping the books. In other words, we don't need layers upon layers upon layers of ledger money if we can all just have one single ledger that is open and available to everybody. We don't have information asymmetry that privileges the Jamie Diamonds of the world. 
We don't have all of the frictions, all of the inefficiencies that are embedded in keeping in track of all these individual ledgers when we don't need to do that. Put everything on a blockchain and the banking system is out of business. Now it's a little more complicated than all that because the banking system could evolve to, to finally add some value in some other f financial functions. But the core, the core task, the core function of the banking system can easily, well, can be theoretically, I won't say easily, can be theoretically replaced by blockchain technology. And Mr. Diamond knows it. He's out of business the day the blockchain evolves enough that it can replicate all of these, all of these individual transactions in a hyperfrequency state that take place on these individual ledgers today. Now, again, there's a lot more, it's much more complicated, but that is the, the process that the way forward for digital currencies. And full disclosure here, I have been asked to work with a particular a, a digital currency project, which I'm not going to talk about here because this that's not the point. I'm not trying to make this a commercial for that. What I'm trying to do is to let people know, first of all, that we're on a digital currency standard and have been for a very long time, and you've been using it your whole life and never really you never really knew it. Number two, banks aren't what you think they are. They're glorified bookkeepers, and the bookkeeping. We don't need to be no don't need to be done in the bank environment. It can be done in a decentralized, everybody open, a transparent environment, which would more elegantly re, uh, more elegantly take care of those functions. And the implications are obviously enormous, not just in terms of what are the banks going to do when they're out of business? Do we really care? Or how does the monetary order continue from that point on? There's a lot of questions, a lot of things that need to be evolved, but in a very big picture sense, this is where we are. And again, last time, Jamin, Jamie Dimon likely knows it. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. As always, huge thank you to the Eurodollar University members, as well as Daily Briefing and Daily Deep Dive Analysis subscribers. Uh, information available as always, eurodollar.university. That's our website. Until next time, take care.